Welcome to the X-Men Task Podcast. My name is Willie Simpson. My name is Sonia Rappaport. And Sonia, today we are jumping back into Season 3, uh, the 19th episode of Season 3, the 45th overall, The Juggernaut Returns. <laughs> so last week we talked about X-Men 2, the X-Menning, uh, the X-Men United, mm-hmm. but now we're back to talking about this cartoon. How does it feel? Very good. Oh, really? Yeah, it is actually nice to return. Yeah. X-Men 2 was really long, and then it was equally long to talk about. Yeah. So those episodes take a lot out of us. These are a little more uh, cookie bite-sized, mm-hmm. wouldn't you say? Yep. So, uh, this episode sees the return of our old friend Juggernaut, if the title didn't give it away. Mm-hmm. And um, it's really more of an, a fun, like, Professor X backstory episode. Yeah. If you ever want to know what Professor X was like from ages 10 to 13. <laughs> <laughs> he was a blonde, short shorts wearing, uh, uh, timid young man. Yeah, a real <laughs> blonde, rich ninny boy. Uh-huh. <laughs> And his stepbrother, Kane Marco, was like a redheaded, uh, like bully, bully, howdy doody looking uh, guy. Um, so we'll get into all that uh, as we jump in here. Um, I want to first talk about my impressions of this episode. I- I've probably only seen it once, or not once, I've seen it a few times throughout the years, but just rewatching it now. Uh, it's 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 nice compared to the previous few episodes we saw. It's like a return to form. Yeah. Um, it's back in the right animation studio. Mm-hmm. The story pacing is that like perfect X-Men story pacing we've come to know and love. Mm-hmm. There's the right amount of humor. Um, there's really nice uh, uh, Easter eggs, Marvel Easter eggs. Mm-hmm. There's like some other Easter eggs in there we're going to talk about. Uh there's just like some fun like scenes of the X-Men in weird locations you wouldn't expect them to be in. Mm-hmm. There's sort of a, a lot of like nice just like detail about the X-Men world. Yep. And it's stuff that I really have enjoyed about season 3 actually that it's we've got a lot of nice coloring around the edges of the X-Men world. Although we we've had some big like arcs like Phoenix and Dark Phoenix. Mm-hmm. This is a long season. There's over 20 episodes, so it's not about like one entire storyline like season one and season two were. Mm-hmm. It's just kind of like this is the X Men world, and you know, here's some adventures happening, and uh, it, it's it's like a nice like mix compared to like a straight serialization. Mm-hmm. So I, I, that's one of the reasons why I appreciate season three, and uh, why why I'm going to be uh, sad to see it go in, in a few weeks once we're done with it. Yeah, Although, well, we have a little while left. Still. Yeah, we still have like a three more episodes after this one, I think. Yeah. So. Um, but anyway, this is like a nice little fun episode. You know, there's nothing too crazy about it. It reminds me a lot of the episode where we get some of Scott's backstory, where he goes to the orphanage where he was raised. Mm-hmm. Like the pace is similar, yeah. and um, like the revelations are of yeah. a similar type, except it's like Professor X brand, right? And so. and this one just has better quality. Yeah. So, uh, like I said, a return to form. Um, so, uh, you know, like I said, this episode's about the origin of Juggernaut, basically. If you ever wondered, like, what his deal is, this big lumbering oaf of a overpowered supervillain. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, um, you know, the episode opens, they're essentially with this, like, nerd man who we, I don't even think we catch his name in the episode, I, I was listening for it. Yeah, I didn't catch it either. And he's just, like, your classic mid-90s nerd sort of in the the Stephen Urkel mold. Mm-hmm. He's got the oversized, uh, like, glasses that weren't yet hipsterized yet. Mm-hmm. Uh, um, his clothes don't fit him just right. He's real whiny and annoying and is clueless around women. 
and just thinks that strength equals popularity. A very non-subtle take on a uh, nerd man. Mm -hmm. But at the same time, uh, culturally accurate, because it was not cool to be a nerd in the 90s. Right. uh, As our fellow nerd friends might remember if they're (laughs) old enough. (laughs) You know, liking all this stuff like X-Men and comic books, it was not popular then to really like it. Mm -hmm. I mean, it might have been popular... Like, on the margins of, like, adolescence, in a sense. You know, no one would have... I don't think I ever got insulted for bringing an X-Men comic book to school. I th- and kids might have just said, oh, that's cool. <laughs> well, because you had nerd friends, because you were a nerd. <laughs> I did, but even still, it's not like I was waving around this... It was not like I was waving around a pocket protector kind of thing. Yeah. You know, it was like... X, it's You know, comic books... Comic books are always going to be pretty cool amongst uh, adolescent boys. Okay. Um, I don't know about girls so much. That's a different story. Like, did you read m- many comics in your, like, ages, you know, when the show came out, we were, like, eight or nine to, uh, no, like, 12 I wasn't or 13? Really, I wasn't a comic book fan. Right, okay. I'm still not really a comic book fan. Well, let, let me put it to you this way. I, but, like, I would watch the shows, but, mm-hmm. like, I didn't really have any friends that watched the shows, so I didn't really have anybody to talk to about it. Yeah. Well, yeah. I was really impressed with you. You read your first, like, complete graphic novel. You finished the other day. Yeah. We've mentioned it on many podcasts in Rona, but The Silver Surfer by Dan Slott and Mike Allred. Yeah. I think I finally got their first names right. I saw you read the whole thing, so... Uh-huh. <laughs> from being 10. So that in itself is an accomplishment. But let me ask you this question. If you saw another girl in those age groups reading a comic book, how do you think other girls would re- have responded? Like, positively uh, or negatively? In the 90s? Yeah. I mean, I don't know. It depends on, like, where you went to school and who those right. girls were, you so know? So you can't, like, even make a but it's statement not, about it. It's not that I wasn't reading them because I thought it was too nerdy or something like mm-hmm. that. I just, like, I don't particularly like the, the form. Right. Okay. That's that's fair. I prefer to read... Well, I mean, I was a bookworm when I was a kid, though. Yeah. So, like, I was reading books all the time. And, like... I'm just, like, thinking about... There's obviously tons of... of of women who, when they were young, read comic books. Yeah. But it's just not something that's ever, like, uh, I feel like it's more, it, it was like more of a secret activity, just because I, n- I never saw it. And in pop culture, they never would show a girl reading a comic book, I don't think, that much. Back then. Yeah, back then. Yeah, but I think so it's it not like it didn't happen. Right, yeah, it's not like it's it just- didn't happen. I just wonder, like, if, if you were a girl who liked comic books, you know, if you just read them alone in your room and didn't talk to have anyone to talk to about, maybe you had girl friends that were also into comic books. Who knows? Yeah, I mean, and the only thing I like, and the, the first thing that jumps to my mind about girls reading comics is, uh, like, complete, like, just like the the shitty ones, like, not even from the era we were from. Uh-huh. Where I'm sure there's probably a lot of good feminist comics or just like uh, character uh, comics with like good female characters. Yeah. But I'm thinking of like the 1940s and 50s mm-hmm. when you when if you were a girl and you wanted a comic book, it's like, oh, here's Lois Lane, the comic book. Yeah. Where you well, know, that's why like Archie comics were invented, oh, yeah, right? right? Like yeah. for, for oh. like the female audience. I don't know. To me, comic books are pretty annoying to read because like. It's mostly graphics, like it's mostly pictures, so you think you're going to be able to read through it really quick because there's not that mm-hmm. much text on each page. <laughs> and you're like, oh, this is, I'm going to be done with this in like an hour or something, right? <laughs> you're like going to speed right through it, but like it actually takes a long time for your brain to absorb all the information from those pictures. You have mm-hmm. to really like study it because it's yeah. important for the plot line. Yeah. And it's not like an hour long breeze through quick read. Yeah. It's like, a real like in-depth kind of reading experience yeah you know so. well especially the one I, that you just read the Silver Surfer one I and mean, that was really complex and I'm not and saying that's bad yeah. at all I uh, totally understand why people like it 
Um, but I personally find it tedious. I, mean, I, <laughs> I know. I, I watch you read that. You know and, what I mean? And your face scrunches up. <laughs> but you did like the Silver Surfer one. Though, I right? mean, the story is great. Yeah. yeah. Well, but that's the thing. That's why I was like, you know, a 90s kid watching like this X-Men cartoon and the Batman cartoon and the mm-hmm. Spider-Man cartoon, like all of that stuff, like was a lot more digestible to me. Yeah. Oh, as, absolutely. Like, a TV yeah. show. Or if there had been like a novelization that was really, really good that I like that someone gave me or I came across as yeah. a kid, I probably would have liked that. But not like a novelization of the X Men world if it was because you know, they have that stuff too where yeah it's like they they write a book instead of a comic about the characters right yeah so that like, as a kid been, I right. probably would have been into that I, I hear you yeah I mean honestly like I, I could like say oh you don't I could get like on a soapbox and say oh you don't get comics and whatever but when I'm when I was those ages uh, that you were too. I wasn't reading that many comics either from the standpoint of, like, yeah, I'd go to the comic store on the weekend and I'd get them. Mm-hmm. But off, more often, than I would get, like, the, the Marvel trading cards mm-hmm. or things like that. Because as a kid, it's, like, way too much to understand. Mm-hmm. You know, you're watching the X-Men cartoon at home, and it's kind of simple, and they explain the origins of things, and they give you, like, a rough summary of what the X-Men are like. Mm-hmm. But when you go to the comic book store in 1996, and you see there's, like, 12 X-Men comics on the shelf... And they're all like in the middle of insanely like forty year story arcs. Yeah, it's overwhelming. And and it's also like got like kind of adult themes where the characters are like really overly sexualized and crazy looking and the action's like super intense. For a twelve year old, it's like cool on one level, but another level you don't get it. And it's like hard to jump into. And that's why I think a lot of people are like me in the sense if you were a young like geek or nerd, you like you like the idea of comics as a young person, like a, I mean an adolescent, right? Okay. But then you can't really follow it. But when you get older into your college and into your twenties, you start to like you get curious again, and you go back, and that's when you can like you you might make like your rediscovery of comics because as an adult, you can you have the ability to comprehend it more. Mm-hmm. And um, I was a young adult anyway, and and, and like that's what I well, did. Well, but also as an adult, it's like you have a lot more resources. You know, when you're a yeah, kid and yeah, you're yeah. looking at like yeah. how many <laughs> decades of runs of all these comics, and you have like two dollars in your pocket, yeah. and you're like, damn. Like- yeah, absolutely. <laughs> I remember like going through. I like the as a kid, I like the old X Men comics more than the new ones because they're simpler and they explain the origins, right? Yeah. And believe it or not, they had them at the comic book store, either in like a collected graphic novel. Or, you know, like a like a Marvel Masterworks, yeah. yeah. And I had a few Marvel Masterworks, which were my favorite ones. But uh, or they or you went to the comic book store and they had like the old issues like in a box mm-hmm. with like dating back to the seventies and stuff. But they're expensive. I mean, you can't like I, like you said, you can't afford buying like the the first like five issues where. Uh, you know, Kitty Pride appears or something. I mean, you can get in the Marvel Masters, which would have to be like a Christmas or birthday present, because that was probably like twenty bucks or whatever, twenty five mm-hmm. bucks or something at the time. But as a kid, you if you wanted to seriously collect them, I don't think it'd be hard, and you wouldn't even know where to begin. Like you'd need like a Wizard magazine to like get you started. Yeah. It take a lot of research and a lot of homework. And by Times that point, without internet, right? And you know? yeah, exactly. And by that point, <laughs> as a kid, like you're like, all right, I'm just gonna buy a pack of baseball cards and call it a day. Yeah, I mean, so yeah, and I'll spend my the, my next dollar seventy five next week on something else yeah so you're right so as a little kid it's really tough um i mean people 
did it, obviously. Just, like, we were not... Uh, yeah, you have to be really, like, hardcore into it. I mean, and that was the other yeah. thing, too. It's, like, the the nerd culture in itself or the geek culture is intimidating for little kids, too, in that sense. It's, like, you'd see the guy who's ever, like, running the comic book store probably was, like, an 18-year-old nerd himself or even, like, an older man, like, in his early 30s. And it's just, like, it's, like, going into a record store with a bunch of snobs working at it. You'd like that you can't. They don't want to talk to twelve-year-old kids. It's just this like infinite universe of knowledge that you haven't even scratched the surface of. Like, They're, how are you going to? Yeah, you don't even want to talk to them. It's too intimidating. So yeah. it's just like, and at the same time, that's kind of good too because it'd be kind of creepy if they were like the Candyman from Willy Wonka. He's like, <laughs> let me put a comic in your hand, little boy. You might like this one. Mm-hmm. You know, that would be like inappropriate as well. You know what? I'm <laughs> what? <laughs> you know how the Candyman? What road are we going down I'm here? I'm just saying. You know how the Candyman and Willy Wonka is just like giving the kids like chocolate bars and really like getting down on, the, on like his knee. I don't think that would be creepy at all if a comic book store owner said, "Oh, here, you're not a comic book fan yet. Try this one." And like, <laughs> I, I, that would be totally appropriate. I, but that's not. I don't. Th- at least <laughs> that's how they run a business. In my experience, that's not what they were like. They're just no. They're, it's not what they were like. They're like sardonic adults either, that but, you know yeah. had issues. Um, uh, anyway, uh, <laughs> so this guy, the, there's this guy who's like this classic 90s nerd, and he's in some cave somewhere uh, discovering the Ruby of Sidorak and its ancient tablet. And this we discover is what gives the Juggernaut his powers. Uh, as the Juggernaut reminds, reminds us in this episode, as he did in the first appearance we saw him, he is not a mutant. He gets his powers from magical sources. Mm-hmm. So one of the many uh, fun sort of, uh, like, s- secret things about the Marvel Universe. It's not just all like characters like this and that. There's all sorts of like magic stuff happening. Mm-hmm. So that's the Juggernaut's case. So this guy, he finds the um, the Ruby of Sidorak, and he you know, at some point, and it hasn't happened yet, but at some point he reads the um, the ancient text which says, whosoever possesses the sacred gem shall uh, receive upon himself the crimson bands of Sidorak uh, he, uh, read these words and leave this place a human juggernaut. That's not exactly the quotation. I just kind of scribbled it as he was saying it. Mm. But so it's just one of those ancient things where they, they made it as easy as possible as long as you could read like the ancient um, uh, like Sumerian language or something. Whatever it was. Yeah. Uh, here's some magic powers, stranger. <laughs> Enjoy. Um, so that that's essentially what happens. This guy, he steals the juggernaut's powers. Just in time, too, because the juggernaut was invading... Uh, Professor X's mansion yet again. It's always like curious to think like what the Juggernaut's doing in between the times when he's not all steamed up about his stepbrother mm-hmm. Professor X and like invading his mansion to kill him. Yeah, like what's his day to day life? Yeah, it's just like it's just confusing, you know. Because uh, I don't know. I guess he gets thwarted by the X Men at times, and he just like retreats. He retreats and goes about like where, until he get, reminds himself that he's angry about it again. <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, the last time we saw him, he was in the whole Phoenix saga with his friend Black Tom. Yeah. And he got thrown off, thrown off the off Muir Island by uh, by the Phoenix. Yeah. Or no, by Gladiator. Gladiator was the one who like flicked him off the island. Right. Um so I don't know, like he he's up to like no good. I mean, like in the comic books, he's kind of like a when he's not dealing with the X-Men I think you get the impression he's like a bank robber or a, just a criminal. That would make sense. Roused about, you know, uh-huh. doing crazy schemes. Um, and then at some point in the comics, he becomes a good guy. I don't, I don't know what that transformation was all about, but I just know that it happens. Okay. That's cool. Yeah, anyway. Um, so, uh, you know, like we said, this episode, it's like not like much happens. Juggernaut loses his powers. He's 
the the X Mansion. He's in the Danger Room at the time, and the X Mansion kind of collapses on him. And because he's lost his powers, he's in critical condition now because he's buried under some rubble. But as we know in the X Men universe, being buried under like like mountains and tons of rock and yeah, concrete is not instantly fatal. No, <laughs> although they do. Although interestingly enough, it almost does kill him. Mm-hmm. Uh, but like before that happens, um, we see some fun stuff. Um, we see the Juggernaut punch a shark. <laughs> he saves a seal. Yeah, there's a, a cute seal swimming around with the fish in his mouth. He doesn't save the fish, uh, but he does. Save, <laughs> he does save the seal though. Saves the seal, which is cuter. Uh, he punches a shark. He's under the water. He's like in the Hudson River somewhere in New York City, and then he uh, shark infested waters. Yeah, apparently, <laughs> <laughs> he leaps onto. We couldn't figure out what bridge it was. I, it, I think it was. It's either the Manhattan Bridge or yeah. Maybe the, Maybe the bridge. Williamsburg Bridge. I don't know. I don't Maybe. know. He's like trying to get to upstate New York, so I don't know why he's in the water in the first place. And then I don't know. The way he roams around the world is very strange because that once he's on the bridge, he's only there to steal a car. So he rips open a taxi cab and you know jumps in there. Somehow could support his weight and he mm-hmm. could drive it. And the police are after him, and I don't know. He just easily gets away from them, and it's just a bizarre scene that he. He was. I guess he just realized I'm going too slow here. So <laughs> I, lumbering along the, he, the bottom of the river yeah, was not he, the way to go. Did he just come from like he was in Ireland the last we saw him? So did he just walk across the Atlantic Ocean? Yeah, maybe because he can't. You know, he can't fly in a plane. Uh, no plane can hold him. Well, I don't know. He can't fly in a commercial <laughs> plane. Definitely no. As we see in this episode, being the juggernaut is very challenging. Uh huh. So I mean, he might be able to fly in like a military like. Aircraft or something. I mean, you know, that's what must be. Like, he can't... If he wants to go from Europe to America, unless he gets on a boat... He could definitely get on a boat. Yeah. Of some kind. Like, a big But ocean. he can also just walk across the bottom of the ocean, right? Yeah, but that's, like... That takes a lot of energy and time. Ah, eh, he's got time and energy. I guess he does. I mean, but at the same time, it must take months to walk across yeah that's true that many anyway here he is he resurfaces <laughs> he's trying to get to the x mansion right he wants to kill professor x he hates his stepbrother and we'll find out why um professor x sends out the beacon to his x-men jubilee's at a pool party uh-huh she can't be bothered her commun- no her communicator is on her chair by the pool and right. she's not probably for the best that the 15 year old jubilee doesn't confront the juggernaut again yeah but it's funny because we've had all this conversation around the ex-communicators and like yeah. where they're located and yeah. it's like her it's her belt or something right yeah. like that she'd have to be talking to well it's not consistent because the belt they show is the standard x-men belt that cyclops might wear a yellow one with the big x in the middle but yeah. jubilee doesn't wear that belt that no. we can see unless it's underneath her pants huh anyway yeah so there's that then gambit's on the side of the road uh, his communicator is also the belt but he it's on his motorcycle and he's like across the street well fixing with a his trench coat off a school bus that's a broken, broken down, down school bus it's he's too fixing. hot of a day <laughs> he's really a good samaritan yeah yeah he knows <laughs> i want to see that episode <laughs> what is gambit doing that he first of all how he's does he know doing how to, good deeds i know but how does he know how to fix a school bus uh, his mechanic past I, I guess no i don't think he has him he's a thief he's not a mechanic who knows right i mean all the x-men are very technically minded somehow yeah oh excuse us we're a little tired Uh, a lot of yawn breaks here um and then we see uh but rogue and storm are an environment that we've seen many times they're in the mall again shopping for new wardrobes yeah and they're in some new clothes which is cool Uh uh-huh storm Uh, has a green outfit now yeah and rogue has her own sort of green outfit but she quickly changes into her regular green outfit Mm mm-hmm 
Um, yeah, Storm's got like this cool, fancy new green outfit, like lime green outfit with this uh, brown leather coat. And she, but does she have like an X Men collar on? I, don't know. I think I noticed that. Uh... But just thinking about it now, she's got this weird X Men collar, and I think it even lights up and talks. <laughs> so she's Is really excommunicator. Yeah, I don't know. She's really accessorizing. A necklace excommunicator. Yeah, we've seen some like new uh, exciting outfits from Storm this season. So <laughs> I don't know if they're trying to sell some new action figures or what. But uh-huh. this oh, is why you had all the X Men trading cards. You didn't care yeah. about the comic books. You just wanted to see what they were wearing. <laughs> I don't know. You're right. There's something so like interesting about the way they look to me. Uh-huh. I was always, and I'm still fascinated. Uh-huh. And it does. Yeah, right. on some fundamental level, talking about the movies and stuff, it's like it always bothers me like the way they look i always want the look to be just right i'm still waiting for that in the movies Mm -hmm. yeah i agree um and so uh so we only get like a partial x-men team um which is good enough the the the, the best x-men anyway storm rogue cyclops and wolverine later on Mm -hmm. uh gene is still recovering i guess yeah um but so juggernauts invaded the x-mansion uh we see some x-mansion security measures They've got machine gun, like laser machine gun turrets in the front lawn, and electric security nets and things of that nature. But none of that can stop Juggernaut. He just barrels in through the mansion in the front door, and then he jumps into the basement and he lands in the danger room. And Professor X sets some interesting holographic traps for him. Mm-hmm. The first one, he puts him in a jungle and he has him fight like ten other Juggernauts, mm-hmm. but they all turn out to be wimpy robots that he can easily manhandle. But then we get a really awesome cameo from uh, our pal, the Hulk. Yeah. The Incredible Hulk. In a desert scene yeah, fight. Yeah, with a torn up outfit. Although the Hulk looks kind of like... Huh, sorry, real tired. The Hulk looks kind of uh, like... He's too puny looking. He was about the same size as the Juggernaut. And I know the Juggernaut is big, bigger than the normal character. Yeah. But still, the Hulk, I think, would be a little bit bigger than the Juggernaut. At least mm. the way I imagine him. Yeah. Maybe I'm wrong there, and, I, and I'm sure the Juggernaut and Hulk have scored off many times in the comics. I have no idea, like who can uh, beat up who. Mm-hmm. I'd imagine the Hulk is like the strongest, but yeah. But this is a robot. Yeah. Oh yeah. He takes yeah. Room, he takes so. care of the robot, but it's still it's cool to see the Hulk in the X Men universe. Uh-huh. Uh, I didn't remember that at all. Um, and then it's it's right around this time that the nerd guy uh, steals Juggernaut's powers. So uh, now he's just Kane Marco. We see him in a military outfit. Which they don't explain in the cartoon, but that's from the comics. Mm-hmm. I think in the comic book origin of the Juggernaut, he finds the Ruby of Sidorak because Kane Marco's fighting in the Korean War. Um, and I think Professor X is also a Korean War veteran in the comics as well, too. Mm. Um, and they might have actually been fighting in a similar platoon or something. Something crazy happened there. Please correct me about that. But I think they're both Korean War veterans. And that's when Kane Marco d- discovers the uh, the Ruby of Sidorak. So does that make the Sidorak thing a Korean uh, artifact of magical power? It doesn't sound like it. I don't think so. Yeah. So I'm not sure what's going on there. But uh, anyway, so we see him in his military gear. He's in a coma on the X-Mansion. And Professor X, the whole hinge of this episode is that he has to make the ethical decision. Do I let him die or do I save him? And the only way to save him is to get his powers back. So I think that's like a pretty good uh, like like element to explore mm-hmm. uh, for a kid's show. Professor X basically saying, like, listen, like he's an evil guy. Uh, he's done nothing but try to kill me. Um, you can see how dangerous he is, yet even still, I respect life and I have to save him. Yep. 
It's like the X-Men mission. There, right. You and, know? and all the X-Men are pretty much against it. Yeah. Storm, Rogue, Cyclops, and Wolverine are stunned, shocked, and appalled that Professor Professor X wants to save this guy. Yeah. But then Beast points out, well, he is his brother. Right. And, and, and Storm tr- uh, comes around, too, at some point, because Professor X is a breaking point where he realizes, like, maybe I shouldn't save this guy. And Storm reminds him, no, you must, you know, save him. Uh, you know, don't let this, uh, you know like uh, make you unethical or something mm-hmm. so you know I guess he's doing well, the right Rogue thing well Rogue tries to rebel she's like this is crazy I don't want to do this yeah and Cyclops and, and Wolverine too they also are yeah but Professor X is the one that like turns it on them and he's right. like listen this is not like an optional thing like yeah. this is a direct order like yeah. you must go help him well that's how he feels at first like I was saying then he yeah. changes his mind then he changes his yeah, well, Okay, so anyway. we're but that's like the ethical question here um, I actually disagree with him you think he should have just let him... Yeah, he lost his power. He came to kill him in his house. Uh, it's Juggernaut's fault that the roof collapsed on himself. And then, by by the grace of God, <laughs> uh, he loses his powers at that moment. That has nothing to do with the X-Men. Mm-hmm. And now he's just dying in a coma. To me, that's a fitting end for this monster... That does not that abused power that he didn't deserve to get in the first place. Used it for all the wrong reasons. Has led a miserable life that has destru- uh, caused countless like destruction and probably killed lots of people. He does not deserve to live. And this is like wow, a, harsh. Well, I'm just saying it's like he lost his powers <laughs> fairly, and you know, like so be it. This is his fate. Uh-huh. Why is it Professor X's? If I was Professor X, I wouldn't go out looking for this like impossible to find Ruby of Sidorak business. Yeah. You know, it's actually amazing that the X-Men track it down. Mm-hmm. But still, like, I mean, you disagree with what I'm saying? No, I gotcha. I mean, do, would you let him live or die in that moment if you're Professor X? I think for Professor X, it's like he he sees the solution, you know? Like, right. if, if he, if Juggernaut hadn't lost his powers at that moment, he was still in, like, grave danger and there was nothing to do about it, you know, then Professor X might have been like, alright, well, there's nothing we can do. But, like, because the situation is such that, like, it's possible to save him, even if it means going to a lot of trouble and effort, then he feels obligated to do it. So. I guess you're right. So because he sees the the, the way to save the guy, he'd feel like a murderer if he didn't do yeah, it. Yeah, exactly. But, I mean, but to me, the circumstances are just so insane, because the only way to save him is to give him the immortal, infinite powers of an unstoppable juggernaut. Yeah. So, I don't know. I, I would just say, like, this is your fate. This is the path you chose. Oh, well. You know, you're an evil son of a bitch. You're basically a Nazi. <laughs> Ruthless. Okay, well, whatever. So, but in the meantime, in order to figure out how to save him, he must travel into Juggernaut's mind. And here's we, where we see the backstory between Professor X and uh, and Kane Marco. Mm-hmm. And so they're stepbrothers. Uh, Kane Marco's dad married Professor X's mom, who was a widow for her wealth. And uh, Professor X never knew that as a kid, apparently. Mm-hmm. And he's, like, really hurt to learn that the dad also was a bully. Like, Kane hated Professor X, secretly thought he was a wimp, and didn't care for his mother, even though his mother loved Kane Marco's father, Senior Marco. I forget his real name. Yeah. Uh, kind of looks like uh, Bolivar Trask from the earlier, from season one, this, like, black mustachioed man with some gray hair and like a long white lab coat. Mm -hmm. I think he's like an evil scientist too in the comics as well. I think that's what's going on. Um, But anyway, you know, they summarize it pretty short and sweetly by just saying to this guy, listen, like you have to be nice to this Charles kid or else we're not going to inherit this fortune and therefore I'm shipping you off to boarding school and you're, you know, you're a shitty son to me. 
And that's why Cain hates Charles so much, because he thinks Charles is to blame for his, like, his father not loving him. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, so that's kind of actually, you know, he's got his own little It's an interesting backstory. Yeah, it's interesting. Uh, you know, maybe not deserving an, enough of having to kill Charles. <laughs> it's like, there's something wrong with Cain that he just blames it all on Charles, not his dad. Yeah. Uh, but, you know, it is what it is. And then we see more of the backstory where uh, Kane would push Charles into mud and make sure all his friends, like, hated him and he was a mutant and stuff and, and like, ins- like made sure that uh, his beloved Sandra hated him too. Um, and we see Professor X's powers awakening at times as right. a kid and it's sort of, it's tough for him. He had a tough childhood. Yeah. But still he looks like a real ninny boy. <laughs> <laughs> Just something really... Uh, just like uh, very, I don't know, dandy, meek. yeah, meek and dandyish about him uh-huh. as a young lad. Um, there's more to it in the comics too, which is funny. They they show more of this backstory. And this is like the classic '60s comics. They show Professor X was like a star athlete and really popular in high school and stuff, uh-huh. even though he was bald at a young age. Um, which I, they explain too for something inexplicable why he's bald. I forget why. But, like, you know... They so, explain it with something inexplicable? Yeah, I forget. Like, something unlikely? It's Maybe it's just because he's a mutant. That's why he's bald, you uh, know? I, or maybe he just went bald as a teenager. I mean, that does happen to some kids. Yeah. Which is kind of sad, uh, <laughs> in a way. Um, but uh, the thing was, there's a lot more jealousy from Kane Marco, mm. from Professor X in the comic. And here it's more about, like, father issues. Right. So the, all these all these revelations really hurt Pro- Professor X. So that's when he has his moan of weakness, where he feels like maybe I shouldn't save this guy because this stuff really hurt me as a kid. I thought I was long over it, mm. um, but whatever. He Storm convinces him not to. Um, and then what else happens? Oh, then there's like this nerd man now has Juggernaut's powers. Right when it's yeah, that whole transformation is crazy because you actually see the power itself leaving yeah. the Juggernaut's body. It's this red energy yeah. stream, and it like. <laughs> The power of a red ruby in energy form. Right, yeah. How literal. Yeah. But then when it goes into this nerd guy's body, like, he gets the Juggernaut's outfit along with it. That's, like, part of the energy stream, I guess, along with the helmet and everything. And he he still wears his glasses, which is funny. Right, yeah. Uh, But then, like, the glasses are underneath the helmet. So he goes back home to his apartment, and it's a disaster being the Juggernaut. Uh, you know, he opens up the fridge and the fridge door comes off. He tries to drink some water and his sink like explodes in his face. And he tries to stomp a roach or something yeah, on the ground yeah. and he like goes through the floor. Yeah, so it's not. But he doesn't seem that upset about it. I would be extremely upset. No, he doesn't seem upset at all. He yeah. like thinks it's cool. Yeah, which is crazy because I would be like, oh my god, this is my life now. I can't sit on my couch without falling through the floor. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so I don't know. He's... But he like sees a way to use it to his advantage. Well, he thinks it's, he's going to use it to his advantage, yeah. where he, like, goes to some nightclub and tries to, like, impress a bunch of women with his strength, and, like, it doesn't work, really. Yeah, not, not right away. <laughs> it's kind of inconsistent, because at first he's a freak and people are afraid of him, yeah. but then later we see him in the episode, he's actually quite popular, and yeah. people are enjoying it. He's really wearing dancing his, the night away. Yeah, he's wearing his John Travolta Saturday Night Fever outfit, right. which is ridiculous. So I guess the outfit that came with the Ruby stream can be changed. Yeah, that's exciting to discover <laughs> that he that he was able to take off that, like, skin-tight metallic juggernaut armor. Uh-huh. Uh, thank God, because it looks like it's bolted onto him, yeah. you know, with those, like, studs around. Yeah. Like, how do you take really this off? really riveted. Yeah, I mean, the helmet we know can come off with with and it takes juggernaut effort to take the helmet off mm-hmm. too the guy the new juggernaut he has to really yank it off yeah and he's got a, enormous strength so that costume must be really difficult to peel off your body <laughs> i guess but anyway it reminds me of a comic too like a really early jack kirby stanley comic uh-huh. 
there's a mutant called Unum the Untouchable. I think that's what his name was. Mm-hmm. It's spelled like U U N U M or something. Mm-hmm. I don't. I don't know. Anyway, his power is that like nothing can touch him if he doesn't want to. So like he goes and robs banks and police shoot bullets at him and they just bounce off. Mm-hmm. And like people try to pick him up, like they just bounce off. So uh, you know he's super powerful in that sense. He can do whatever he wants because nobody could touch him. He's mm-hmm. the untouchable. But then the only, the way the X Men defeat him is Professor X makes a machine that increases his powers by like a hundred percent. And at first Unum thinks this is like oh uh, thanks for uh, um, you know making me more powerful, Professor X. See ya. But it turns out it's a curse because he can't like eat food anymore because oh. he can't pick up fruit and vegetables or whatever, and he can't. You know, drink water, and it's torture, and he's going to die. Yeah. So he has to go back and plead with Professor X to uh, get his power, like, reduced or, like, taken away from him. Hmm. And that's the lesson. So I feel like there's parallels going on here. Yeah. Like, it's, it's like, too much power. Um, it also, like, reminds me of something I always wondered. Uh, you know, like, this guy, it's hard for him to interact with everyday objects. Mm-hmm. This juggernaut. And... I always wondered, especially watching Superman 4, The Quest for Peace, mm-hmm. <laughs> the worst Christopher Reeve Superman, It's a, and I might have mentioned this on the podcast before, there's a scene where he pushes the moon, mm-hmm. right, with his bare hands. Mm-hmm. He can, he's that strong that he can push the moon out of orbit. Yeah. So it makes me wonder how, when he's at the Daily Planet, how he can pick up a pencil and write things down. Well, but he's had that power his whole life, so yeah. he's used to being able to control it. I think that's the thing with this new juggernaut guy, yeah. is that he doesn't know his own strength. Well, you know, it's like a toddler. Like, yeah. they don't, they're they not, like, in full control of their muscles, and they don't know what they can do, really. So they end up, like, knocking things over yeah. and falling over because they're not, like... Uh, their brain hasn't caught up to their muscles but, yet. But even still, like it seems like the classic Juggernaut, the Kane Marco version, still just bumps into stuff and can't doesn't have. But the, he does destruction on purpose. He does, but at the same time, it seems like it's not easy for him to have fine motor control. Uh-huh. I don't think he could like pick up uh, like a pen and balance his checkbook if he wanted to. Hmm. Uh, you know, Superman. Like my only point about that is that he he has a real insanely fine degree of motor control. That he, his hands can either, you know, like, uh, pick up a pen and write with it, or somehow lay his hands on the surface of a celestial body and push it. Yeah. But the Juggernaut also is enormous, so maybe if you give him a really big pen, he'd be able to balance his checkbook. <laughs> well, that's no solution. He needs to go to, like, a magical-powered big and tall store. <laughs> he could be writing those enormous checks, like, when you win the publisher's clearinghouse. I, I mean, obviously, that's where this new Juggernaut went. He went to some big and tall store and bought, like, an outfit. They were able to clothe him yeah which is funny um we don't see that scene so anyway it's up to cyclops and wolverine to deal with this guy and it's kind of like a joke they easily dispatch him and they steal the ruby from him and they bring it back to professor x and professor x gives it to kane marco and in kane marco's mind he recites the magic words which he's remembered and he turns back into juggernaut and then there's a cool scene when he awakes he doesn't kill the x-men he realizes that like hey i owe you guys one at least he doesn't Mm -hmm. say it but he takes his ruby gem and he throws it through the roof of the X-Mansion yeah. into outer space. You see it twinkle in a, the distance. A satisfying red twinkle, because yeah. it's a ruby. Right. <laughs> it twinkles into the like into the solar system It's just like, his reasoning is like, I'm never going to let anyone get their hands on this again. This is going to be my power forever. And then he like flings it. But from what we know of the X-Men universe, nothing is safe out there in space. Yeah, definitely. And also... <laughs> I think that maybe one day, maybe he'd want to retire from being the juggernaut at some point. Mm. I don't know if you can undo it without someone just taking the power from themselves. Yeah. It's not like he could uh, say the the thing in reverse and lose the power. 
but my point is, like, I don't know if... I, I'd still want to keep that ruby on me. Right. I don't know if I'd want to throw it into space where nobody can get it. Like, maybe keep it for myself and hide it where no one could find it. Right, exactly. That's what I was thinking, because you never know. It's like the... Whoever, the uh, the Shi'ar might come across it or something, or... Or you might need it yourself. Yeah, right. So, uh, you know, it's crazy. And, like, you know, the... The the other guy found it in the the ancient ruins of where the Juggernaut found it originally too. Right. So, uh, you know that it was like easier to find, in a sense. So, mm-hmm. but that's what I'm saying. Juggernaut could hide it in a safe somewhere and bury it in like Antarctica. You know. Yeah. Like, Antarctica. Antarctica. <laughs> right. Exactly. <laughs> So, um, you know, and in the end, Professor X, he lets him go. He's like, uh, Wolverine's like, should we stop him? Or Cyclops says that. And Professor X is like, no, let him go. Uh, he is, uh, you know, we'll, we'll fight him another day. Yeah. Uh, but I think that's super not appropriate of the Professor either. <laughs> you want better closure than that? Well, he's just unleashed this monster on the world yeah. again. Like, he can't, it's up to him. It's one thing to save his life. It's another thing. Now you have to keep people safe from the juggernaut right you have to like rehabilitate him it's like at the end of x-men apocalypse the movie where magneto at the behest of apocalypse like destroys half the world with his magnet powers and at the end professor x is like oh good friends see you next time Mm -hmm. and just lets him leave instead of you know like apprehending him in some way yeah or like brainwashing him to make sure he doesn't do anything violent like that again yeah Something, you know? Like, Magneto's a dangerous criminal. Right. Uh, So you think it's irresponsible of Xavier? Yes. While you got the Juggernaut there, you know, do what you did in the first time we saw the Juggernaut. Knock his helmet off and brainwash him so he doesn't remember who he is or, you know what I mean? (laughs) Something where he's, like, a good guy. Yeah. Uh, So I think that's insane of the professor just to let him go. And not a good neighbor either, because the juggernaut's just lumbering out of the mansion at a very slow pace. Right. He's going to be walking to around. Wherever it is he's going. Yeah, Westchester and Salem, like causing a whole bunch of mayhem for Professor X's neighbors. Yeah. So not very neighborly. Well. Um, yeah. I don't know. But overall, a fun episode. <laughs> yeah, it was a fun episode. <laughs> oh, there's another cameo I forgot to mention. Like, at one point, the other juggernaut crashes through a studio set, and they're filming the Power Rangers. Yeah, that's right. Which Banzai is, Entertainment right, Studios yeah, or something like that. Right, yeah. A subsidi- subsidiary of Saban, which yeah, controlled funny. Power Rangers, too. So a real, like, silly plug for the other property controlled by Saban. Yep. Um, so, yeah, I think that's all I have on this episode. Um, oh, in the end, when the nerd guy loses his powers, he's not that upset. He gets a hug from a pretty woman at the nightclub. Yeah. And he passes out because he's such a nerd. Like <laughs> <laughs> He's never been touched by a woman before. Maybe. I guess he jizzed in his pants. <laughs> uh. To, uh, you know what I'm talking about? Uh, the uh, Adam Sandler SNL sketch, that song he does with Lonely Island. Uh-huh. Never mind. People know what I'm talking about. I'll yeah. show it to you later. <laughs> <laughs> okay. <laughs> Um, so that's that for that episode. So I thought a, a fun episode. I was entertained. Yeah, so was I. Yeah, a nice return to form, a classic season three episode. Not bad at all. Um, good animation, good cameos, good backstory, fun uh, time was had, like, in- watching it and making fun of it kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Not that we're here to make fun of all the episodes, but, you know, sometimes you can't help it, right? Yeah. All right, so what, any last words on this one you have? Uh... Nope. Would you want to be the female juggernaut if you got that ruby of Sidorak? Nope. <laughs> <laughs> would you give it to me and ask me to become uh, the juggernaut? No. I, I would throw it into space. Oh, okay. I see. Well, only to do, to do that, you'd have to turn into the juggernaut first. Oh. You'd be in a lot of trouble. I'd be in a lot of trouble. Right. You just have to make sure no one gets their grubby paws on it. Yeah. 
All right, so all right, so Gemma Sidorak, uh, not that interesting, really, uh, to possess. So <laughs> uh, that's all I got for this week. So let's do our goodbyes. Um, I would like people to uh, follow me on Twitter at Willie Simpson. If you're on Twitter, uh, you can see me like a bunch of uh, random things, like uh, political tweets and uh, tweets about halt and catch fire, and tweets about uh, Mets baseball. <laughs> it's a, it's really worth it to follow me on Twitter. Uh, you could also uh, follow us on Facebook at the X Men Task Podcast Facebook group. That's more important because you can interact with all our fans and uh, yell at us or uh, tell us about you know uh, the name of Juggernaut's dad who I can't remember and like what he was up to as a secret scientist um, and interact with everyone else uh, th- that's more important than following me on Twitter although I do uh, love the social media power that I get with every new follower <laughs> just kidding <laughs> Sonia was looking at me like I'm crazy mm-hmm. um, and then uh uh, what else can you do? You could rate us five stars on iTunes if you're an Apple user and get, leave us a nice review. Because... What else can you do? <laughs> Listen, everyone needs to help us, okay? There's a lot of problems in the world, but we need your support in the form of Twitter followers or X-Men Taz, Facebook fans, whatever it takes. All right, let's close this up here. All right, that's enough. So until next time, uh, when we will march towards the end of Season 3, uh, that's all I got. Uh, this evening. Sonia, do you have any final words? That is all. Goodbye. Goodbye, everybody.